But Aftershock, I mean, uh, they're already gone. Never mind. I'll move on. They're gone. <clears throat> All right. Well, again, welcome. Um, I'm really excited about what the Lord has been doing through our series so far, The Paradox of Grace. You know, we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and it's been a great journey so far. Um, I, I just love the idea of going through full books of the Bible, full letters in their context, so that we can see the whole counsel of God and how we can apply it to our lives. Today, though, as I mentioned last week, we're going to pause that series to look at a topic that is going to be helpful for us as followers of Jesus and as a church as we look toward March, where we're going to be doing something collectively. So let me just start by asking, what does the word discipline mean to you? Just give a few words that describe discipline. Work? Self-control. Self-control? Training. Training? Doesn't have to be in a spiritual context, just discipline. Consistency. Consistency. Patience. Patience. Doing what you said you were going to do. Any other words? What is it? Non-complacent. Non-complacent. Leaning in. Hardworking. Yeah, all, all that stuff. It's good. So then... What is a spiritual discipline? And you don't have to answer, but just think about spiritual discipline. Now we're adding that same word that we just talked about and adding the word spiritual in front of it. So according to Donald Whitney, who has a fantastic book on the idea of spiritual disciplines, he says that they are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity, that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. These are the things that Bi- the Bible speaks about that are practical means of experiencing God more fully. So when I think about spiritual disciplines personally, I think of things that I can do to experience God at a deeper level. That's what I think about. A, a lot of times when you hear the word discipline or spiritual discipline, there's like some, like, uh, I don't know, like, Discipline and following after God, and let's keep those things separate. Like, let's keep discipline in the gym and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like on the sports field or whatever. But um, I'm just telling you right now, whatever label you have in your mind, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) spiritual practices, things designed to draw you closer to God and experience Him more fully. That's what we have in mind here. Now, are they these things that are required to get us into uh, closer proximity to God? Are they required for salvation? No. We're talking about prayer, fasting, serving, giving, these kinds of things. Not required for salvation. Are they required for the average church attender? No. Are they even required to lead? No. They're not required for any of these things. And therein lies the problem. right? Because we can do much of the, the Christian life Without these things, people do it every single day. Now, to be clear, in order to lead well, you must have spiritual disciplines in place. But they're not required. You get what I'm saying? Like, you can, you can do it. You can fake the funk. You can go through the motions. You can do all the things. But you're going to be missing a lot. Go back to Whitney's definition and think about these words. Growth. Devotion. Spiritual experience. 
Now, there's a huge difference between wanting to be in a good relationship and actually being in one. It takes a lot of work to be in a good, healthy relationship, doesn't it? Some of you have been married for a lot of, lot of years, many, many years. And you know that in order to have a healthy, growing, devoted, experiential relationship, you got to put in the effort. you got to own it. you got to go all in. Otherwise, you will not experience the depth of love and joy and satisfaction that God intended for you in that relationship. You just won't. Now again, can you be in a relationship and not do the things that are required to experience a good, healthy relationship? Sure you can. Again, people do it all the time. But the quality of your relationship and really the quality of your life will be drastically different if you invest and pour into and pursue that relationship with intentionality and purpose and vigor. That's a completely different experience. I think everybody in the room who's had relationships can, can, can kind of acknowledge that They've been maybe in one of two of those places, in something that is produced a lot of fruit and been joyful, and then something that's just like, what are we even doing? <laughs> like, what's the point of this? So, and that's really the point in all this. God wants us to experience him to the fullest. Do you want to experience him to the fullest? I hope so. And so our hope as leaders is to put as many things in front of us as a congregation that will help facilitate that kind of relational growth and depth with him. So while the lack of spiritual disciplines in your life won't disqualify you in any way, it's certainly going to limit your experience and growth in Jesus if they're absent. I think I made that point clear. Yeah. That's why we spent so much time over the last year addressing the topic of prayer. Like prayer we've been talking about left and right. Hopefully you picked up on that, right? Because it is the number one means that we have of communicating with God. Isn't it? Sure it is. Yeah. And so in any good relationship, as you may know, communication is one of the most critical components. you got to have good, solid communication. So if our way to communicate with God is prayer and we don't have prayer, we don't have a good relationship. All right. So today we're going to build on the foundation by bringing into the spotlight another spiritual discipline, fasting. Everybody's favorite topic, <laughs> fasting. Right. So I talked with uh, Pillar San Diego down the street. They, they taught on this at the end of last year. And so I said, Gabe, give me whatever notes you have on this. So he gave me the notes and they were so good. I was like, Gabe, I'm going to use these as my guide. He's like, do it. Go ahead. So just so you know, this is a framework that multiple Pillar churches now are kind of trying to implement. So um, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll get started. So Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your, God, just your presence, your Love for your people, God, the gathering of your church is so beautiful. I pray that you would move this morning in our hearts to show us what exactly it is that you want for us in terms of these spiritual disciplines, specifically fasting. God, remove any obstacles or preconceived notions or anything that we have in our mind as it pertains to fasting and give us a, a sort of a clear, a clean slate to enter into this season ready to do whatever it is you're asking of us and help to grow us that we might fully enjoy and experience you, God. And we need your help in that, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good deal. All right, so if you want to text in questions, and you may have some as we go, 
by all means, text them to that phone number. We will answer them at the end, and we will, yeah, we'll get those fastened up for you. So, <clears throat> how many for you, fasting is a bit of a mystery? Like, you're kind of like, eh, I, I kind of get it, I kind of don't get it. None of you. Okay, so we're done. <clears throat> well, everybody's totally 100% fast once a week. You got it nailed. Everybody knows everything. Good. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So then, it's not a mystery, and you know all of it. Why are we? I'm not going to ask the question. <clears throat> I would say, for a vast majority of Christians, that's the case. Like, there's some ambiguity around the idea of fasting, biblical fasting. I'm not talking about like a diet. I'm talking about biblical fasting, and and I think that's why. Rarely, if ever, do Christians fast. At least in my personal conversations that I've had with believers over the years, there's just not a lot of fasting that goes on in the circles that I run in. Maybe that's just my circles. Maybe yours are different. And so I'm, I guess I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you ever fasted, but let's talk briefly about what are some things that you could fast from. Just throw out some ideas. Food, TV, sweets, social media. Coffee? Easy now. <laughs> what are some other things? Sugar. Sugar? Anything else? Meat. Wheat? Pork. Meat? Pork? Church. Fish? Church? Yeah. <laughs> Exercise. Exercise? <laughs> All right. Okay. We're, we've officially come off the rails. But you see there's a lot of things there, right? Um Here's the baseline that I'm working on when it comes to um, fasting. Uh, voluntarily, voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. There you go. Right? Everybody look over there. Look at Mike. The cricket is gone. Yeah. Yes, we are easily distracted. Yes. I get it. It's all good. Let me start over. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so the working definition here, just baseline, voluntarily going without food or any other good, enjoyable gift of God for the sake of some spiritual purpose. That's what we're talking about here. So most often in the Bible, what did they fast? Food. food. Sure. But it's not just giving up something for a period of time. It's abstaining from something in order to go deeper in the things of God. Prayer and seeking the Lord in its place. So this is a key component to the biblical fasting that we're looking at. And we're going to get more into that as we go. But I'm looking at four key points today that we're looking at. I'm going to try to go quickly. Um, here are my points. Fasting is biblical. Fasting is for believers. Fasting is something every believer should consider. And then the last thing we're going to look at is how do we fast? So it's biblical, it's for believers, it's something every believer should consider, and then we're going to address how do we actually fast. And I think it's going to serve two purposes. It's going to lay a foundation for why and how we fast as believers, and then it's also going to help lay the groundwork for what we're going to enter into as a church going into March, where we're going to have 30 days of fasting. Now, if you weren't here last week, you're like, what are you talking about? We're not all fasting for 30 days. <laughs> okay, but as a church, we're going to have somebody representing the church, and we're going to fast over the course of the month collectively 
for 30 days. So, first point, it's, it's biblical. And I'm going to breeze through these, but I want to make sure that we know that this is biblical. Here's a few examples that I can throw at you. Uh, Moses fasted on Mount Sinai. Look at Deuteronomy 9.9. 9. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. One example. When Israel calls the Lord to deliver them, they fasted in Judges 20, 26. Then all the peoples of Israel, the whole army went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Don't just look at the fasting, but keep in mind what people are fasting for. Um, In 2 Samuel, David fasted and wept for his child. David therefore sought on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. This child was sick, he was dying, so here we see David fasting. Um, Let's see. Others are fasting before the Lord in Psalm 35, 13 through 14. Let's see what's happening here. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth, afflicted myself with fasting, and prayed with my head bowed on my chest. There's some sickness going on there. Um, the Jews fasted when they were threatened with extermination by Haman. Let's look at the next scripture. There we go. Well, back up one. Sorry, Alex. I'm all over the place. Psalm 35, 13. Esther 4. Sorry. You're right. There you go. Let me tell Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, And hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Okay. Contextually, there's a lot of things happening in this particular passage. But you see, in all these examples, there's a lot of different reasons that people are fasting. Right? Some people are fasting in the presence of God. Some people are seeking God. Some people are interceding in prayer and fasting. Some are looking for healing, miracles, active worships, and all these kinds of things. So a variety of ways we see people fasting in the Bible. In fact, God actually commands, in some cases, there to be a fast. Check out Joel 2. Is that up there? Yeah. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So now God's commanding that there's some fasting. So when I say fasting is biblical, it's all throughout the scriptures and instructed by God at times. It's not something we came up with to be to be holy or look cool. or It's not some fad diet, although there is some value to fasting in that capacity, but not in this context. It's not some self-centering exercise. It's none of that stuff. Biblical fasting is always associated with intensified prayer, and always associated with seeking the Lord. 
That make sense? It's biblical. Good. It's for believers. So when Jesus returns, guess what? Fasting is it's done. It's temporary. It's for this life to enrich our experience with Jesus and prepare our hearts for heaven. So when he returns, he's not going to call a fast. He's going to throw a feast. Right? Because the time for putting things aside is over. He's here. But until that point, we fast. He's not here. Now, you might think fasting is an Old Testament thing. Because every example I just gave you was from the Old Testament. However, if you get just a few steps into the New Testament, that goes out the window. Because who do we see fasting in the desert? Who? Jesus. Jesus fasting in the desert for 40 days, right? Boom. We're off and rolling. Look at Matthew 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John who came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. Basically he's saying, while I'm here, there's no need. But when I go away, it's time to pick up the practice Again, after Christ's death and resurrection, then we begin to see the church fasting again. In Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, in Acts 13, 2 and 3, he said, Set set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In Acts 14, 23, we see in Lystra, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the work in whom they had believed. So we see fasting was done was not done away with, but the Lord was actually meeting them in their fasting throughout the New Testament. It is for us today. It's still something that we need to do. It has the same purpose to seek the Lord in some way. So fasting is biblical. It's for believers. And fasting is a spiritual discipline that believers should consider. That's a key word should consider, not must do. So we're not here to put some sort of legalistic demand on you and say, you will do this! Because we just wiped away any kind of benefit from that whole thing. But at the same time, don't you think Jesus expects us to grow in our spiritual disciplines and our walk with him? Yes. Absolutely. And to be fair, many in this room have experienced tremendous growth and maturity in a lot of the spiritual disciplines that we have. Prayer and reading and serving and giving. There's been tremendous growth in a lot of these ways. And maybe for some of you in fasting. But there's often hesitation with fasting. Maybe because it's out of the norm for the the, the Western church. It just is. We must understand, though, that just because it's out of the norm in our culture, it's not out of the norm in many cultures of Christianity, both today and in years past, all the way through back to the biblical times. I would argue also that where you see God working through specific people, you'd be hard-pressed to find people who weren't fasting when God was using them most significantly. Even in the biblical times, but also just in, in our era, perhaps. A few examples from over the course of history, though. King David, we see fasting and tremendous work. Martin Luther... 
Adeniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, all these people that are like giants in the faith, you go back and read their writings, you read their journals, you see how fasting was a critical part of what God was doing in and through them. They incorporated it into their lives, and we get to see on the backside all the amazing things that God did through them. There's a direct correlation between incredible breakthrough and people fasting and praying. But maybe the most significant reason we should consider implementing this particular spiritual discipline in our lives today is because Jesus expects us to. Let's read a few more verses um, out, out of Matthew to give us the context. Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, you do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, there's the expectation. Not if you fast, or if you feel like fasting. When you fast. So I'm going to make my argument a little bit more firm from that same message, that same sermon. If you back up, you don't have to go there now. But Jesus gave instructions about the needy. He said, when you give to the needy. No one denies that we ought to, as Christians, serve and love the needy, right? Okay? He said, in speaking up about prayer, when you pray. No one denies that we should be in regular and constant prayer and that it's necessity and that God expects it. So then the same thing should be noted about fasting. When you fast. He expects it. That's the theme throughout the entire sermon leading up to that point. So it's not just a good idea. It's something that Jesus expects us to do as followers. So it's biblical it's for believers, and every believer in this room should seriously consider the spiritual discipline of fasting. Okay, how do we fast? What does this look like? Here we go with some practical application. I'm not going to be able to hit everything, so this is where you might have some questions. I'll just kind of tell you up front, this is your fast. Whatever fast that looks like, it's your journey. There's no framework that you have to stay within necessarily. Everything we've talked about so far is the foundations. Like if you're doing this fast to seek God and to get closer to him, like that's your primary motive. The means and the avenues by which you do that, the details of all of it, are, are very much less important. So I'll just kind of preface it with that. So what I'm telling you right now are just some, some ideas and some some helpful tips that could get you down the road with a little bit more, uh, perhaps, confidence. First and foremost, have a purpose. When you are fasting, have a purpose. Fasting without expecting a desired outcome will be very discouraging. It's just starving yourself to see what would happen. Imagine if we went out to the parking lot after church and we see some people next door with some nails and hammers, and they're building something, like, huge. And we're like, dude, what are you building? They're like, yeah, we don't really know. We're just going to see what happens. 
that's kind of what it's like to go into a fast without having a purpose. You're like, what are you even doing? Uh, I don't know. We'll just see what happens on the other side. Not going to turn out really, really, really well for you. Jesus said this about fasting. He said, your father sees in secret and will reward you. So what are you asking him to reward? What, what, what are you hoping to gain from this? It's not like you're going to get some, you know, monetary thing or some, like, tangible reward necessarily. But are you seeking an answer to a question? Are you, are you seeking reconciliation in a relationship? Are you seeking, uh, what are you seeking? What are you hoping God rewards you in? And for us, in March as a church, we're going to get more specific as we get there. But it's going to have to do with spiritual revival and the lost coming to faith in our community. Because how, how many of you here want to see in our community that is transformed for the sake of the gospel? You want to see marriages redeemed. You want to see relationships restored. You want to see addictions broken off. right? We want to see these things in our community. This is a tangible way that we can see God working powerfully through us. Now, toward the end of March, there's a group of people in North County, San Diego, that are going to do something called a push week, where we're going to go outside of our norms in terms of engaging with the lost to hopefully engage them in a way that opens an avenue for spiritual conversations. There's going to be dozens of people all across the 78 corridor, east to west, for that specific week, doing the kinds of things that we ought to be doing always, really. And so it just happens to coincide with what we're fasting for. That was not planned. I think that was absolutely God working that all together. But ultimately... You individually have a purpose. And we can, if you want to ask more about what that looks like for you, that's fine. It doesn't also have to be some massive, huge request. God, I just want to, I want to grow closer to you. Would you help me to help my heart to want you more? That's a purpose. And everything in between. Okay, so I have a purpose. Number two, substitute food for prayer. Fasting always goes hand in hand with intensified prayer. As I said before, fasting without prayer is just needless starvation. Fasting shifts our focus from physical needs to spiritual needs. And so the best way that I have found, and many of you have found, to do that is to substitute the time that you would normally eat your food, your meal, with prayer. So instead of eating that meal, you would go before the Lord in prayer. Simple, right? Makes sense? Uh, instead of feeding yourself physically, you feed yourself spiritually. Gabe said, when you would be fe- feeding your belly, instead feed your soul. There you go. And so here we go. When you feel that hunger pain, as some of you, you're stumbling, you're stumbling right now, you're waiting for lunch to happen, and you want that snack, let that prompt be a move to go before God. You're using that signal, physical signal, to move you and direct you to something spiritual. You're allowing the physical needs. This is genius. This is not me, but I'm going to read it. Pay attention to this. We are allowing our physical needs that we rarely deny to prompt us towards spiritual needs, which we often deny. On our knees, feeding our souls, 
looking forward to spiritual mealtimes as much as we look forward to spiritual or physical mealtimes. See the, the, the prioritization there, the shift in focus, it's significant, it's weighty, it matters. Okay, so have a purpose, substitute that time of eating for prayer. Next is seek the Lord and not attention. Seek the Lord and not attention. Let's go back to Matthew 6 and reread that. It's a different point that we're pulling out of the text here. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may seem by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You, we already read it, but you get the point. Jesus is saying, don't let your fasting be seen by others. What he's basically doing, he's, he's warning against hypocrisy, right? That people would, the whole purpose would be that you're seen as others, as, oh man, look at that. Look at her. Man, she is super spiritual, fasting for a week, a day, whatever it is. If that's your goal, to be propped up and seen, you've received your reward. That's what Jesus is saying. That's not what we want to say. That being said, it's okay to let people know you're fasting, especially those who are closest to you. You want to let your wife know, your husband know, your children know. Why? Well, maybe helps them to know that you're not going to be joining them for that meal that you normally join them for. Maybe it has them looking out for you and your tendency toward being hangry. How many of you have been hangry? You're so hungry that you're angry. You're just like, i got to eat food right now. Guess what? That might happen as you're fasting. And it's probably a good idea that the people around you understand that your hangriness is rooted in something other than just hangriness. There's a whole bigger purpose that's happening there. However, caveat, fasting does not give you a license to be rude or angry or lash out at people, right? I'm fasting. I can do whatever I want. Leave me alone. No. Wrong answer. Okay. I was going to go over again, but I forgot them already. What was the first one? Have a purpose. Substitute, Substitute prayer for food. Seek the Lord, not attention. Next one, be safe. Be safe. Fasting is not easy. It's just not easy. And you may be tempted just to gut it out in an unhealthy way. You push so hard to accomplish the mission that things inside of you <laughs> go wrong. Right, so we've got to be safe. There's a time to listen to your body, and there's a time to listen to your spirit. Right, your body's going to send you all kinds of signals, like that hangriness, like I can't do this, and all kinds of things in between. So you have to discern whether or not there's something physically going on where you're like, I'm dizzy, I'm head, I'm going to pass out, or you're just like, I don't think I can do this, I'm going to die. Right? Out of desperation for wanting to, to satisfy our physical needs. But I will tell you, err on the side of caution. Right? Err on the side of caution. Be safe. Now, if the better part of wisdom for you in your health condition and where you are in life is not to go with food, then consider fasting something else. It doesn't have to be food. We gave lots of examples earlier of things you could give up. Television, 
computers, social media. There's lots of things that you could give up. Now, if it's something that you rarely do, you're not going to have much benefit from that. Well, I don't really watch TV. I don't even own a TV, but I'm going to fast from TV. Good for you. You're not going to get much from that experience. The reason we fast food is because everybody has to eat. You literally will die if you don't eat. You won't die, believe it or not, if you don't go on your phone. <coughs> you may feel like that sometimes, but you won't. So whatever it is that you're giving up has to come at a cost to you. It has to be a sacrifice. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd, Martin Lloyd Jones said, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Right? So it doesn't have to be food. Even in March, when we do our fast, it doesn't have to be food. That may be what a majority of us do, but there are some in the room. Physically, that's not the best thing. All right, next thing. These next few are like super practical. Drink a lot of water. <laughs> it's so easy to get dehydrated when you're not thinking about food. One, because you need it. Two, if you've ever been on a diet, <laughs> filling your belly with water helps to you know, quell some of that hunger. Um, but you've got to stay hydrated. This is a critical part of the process. Next thing, when you get to the end of the fast and you're like, whew, I made it. That was 24 hours. I'm going to get the Baconator. Double it up. Like, let's, all right, maybe not the best choice. So ease back into what you're putting in your body. All right? Just be careful. Here's what else I want to say. Let this be a blessing and not a curse to you. This is not a burden. It shouldn't be a burden. It's going to be difficult. But there's a lot of questions, as I mentioned. What can I do this? Can I can't? What about this? What about that? There's tons of questions. It's your fast. Okay, it's not a law. It's not a chain to burden you. Don't do that to yourself. Take it seriously, though, and make it safe and make it so that you have space to draw near to God. Those are kind of the, the, the bare minimum thresholds that we need to have in place. <clears throat> All right, so what, is, what does that lead us? What, what is, where is this going? I told you that we're going to, in March, as a church, fast collectively. So the idea is that we culminate on March 31st at 10 a.m., which is our Easter service. So starting on March 1st at 10 a.m., somebody's going to raise their hand and say, yep, I'm going to fast from 10 a.m. on March 1st to 10 a.m. on March 2nd. And then somebody else is going to raise their hand, and on and on through the month. Now, if you wait till your day to fast and kick in right away, you may struggle. So we, we talked about a way to kind of build an on-ramp toward this. That's why we're doing the message now. So here's our recommendation. Week one, which is this week that we're in right now, fast one meal. Maybe it's lunch. Fast that meal with these principles in mind so that you begin to train yourself, your mind, your spirit, your body, what this looks like. Week two, week after next, 
Now you're going to fast two meals in a row. In a row. Maybe it's breakfast and lunch. Now again, there's grace and there's all kinds of ways to do this. If, you're, if you don't eat breakfast and lunch regularly, don't pick those meals to fast. Right? Nothing different is going to happen from you. However, let me, let me kind of pull that back a little bit. I always am drawn to Mike's story about fasting when he first became a Christian. The moment that you start skipping meals for Jesus, the ball game changes completely. So it could be like, yeah, I don't eat those meals. It's going to be fine. And then when you intentionally say, I'm going to fast these two meals, all of a sudden it's like you haven't eaten in a week. So maybe it could be that you don't normally eat those meals, but you commit that time. You could do that. However, if you want to just kind of change it up a little bit, maybe you do lunch and dinner. Who knows? Could be a period of time. I'm going to fast from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. I'm going to fast from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. You know, a block of time that's significant where you would normally have a meal or a snack. It's got, it's got to, you know, generate some, some training. You got to, it's discipline, right? So we got to get these going. That's week two. Week three, which leads us into the first week of March, either do a repeat of that where you, you've got two meals that you're fasting or a 12-hour period, maybe 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or, or whatever that looks like for you, or give a shot at 24 hours. Now, here's my go-to when I fast for 24 hours. I eat dinner at 6.30. Well, I'm done with dinner at 6.30 p.m., and then I fast until dinner the next day at 6.30, and I eat that meal. So really, I'm only fasting two meals, breakfast and lunch, but it's a 24-hour fast. So you eat, and you don't like gorge yourself or do anything silly like that. You eat dinner, and you fast through the evening, you fast through breakfast, through lunch, and through all the snacks that you would normally eat, and then you break your fast with dinner at 6.30 that evening. Does that make sense? That's a, a, an option for a 24-hour fast if you're like, yeah, let me give it a shot. What's that? Sun up, sun down. Sun up to sundown. Yeah, there, there's lots of different ways that you could do that. So all of that leads us to the first week of March, which we're going to talk about as we get closer, but it would... It seems wise to take some steps in that direction, right? And if you're like, I don't think I can do that at all. Like 24 hours just does not seem attainable to me. You know us. <laughs> like our heart is for, for maximum participation. So if you want to split the day, you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this hour to this hour, and, and then somebody else is going to pick up the back end. Like, great. Like, we want people to participate, but we want people to be able to be successful. And that's why we laid these groundwork for you. So here's the encouragement. Most of you in this room, I would, I would venture to say that every single person in this room has actually fasted multiple times. Most of you fast every single day. Right? When is that happening? When you sleep. What's the first meal you eat when you wake up? Break fast. You're breaking the fast of sleeping overnight, right? So you fast every day. It's been done. You know it. So be encouraged. You've already, you've, the whole, your whole life you've been preparing for this. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's what we're looking at. And I'm convinced that God is going to do some tremendous things in us individually and as a body of believers together. Like, these are the kinds of things where we see God moving where we're all stretched collectively, this is a game changer 
It can be. So go with expectancy, like God is going to move in this. And start start encouraging people. Like, ask, hey, what meal are you fasting? What, what does that look like for you? How are you doing? Like, let's get this conversation started today and continuing through the next couple of weeks leading into March. Because we're going to need encouragement. So let's let's take the ball and run. If, if you would. No, that's our heart anyway. Um, all right. You guys ready to pray? Okay. Heidi, I'm going to let you stay in here just because I love you. <clears throat> no, no, no. I'll let you stay in here. But I'm definitely going to pray for you. <laughs> she has a Kansas City Chiefs jersey on. <clears throat> Let's pray. Jesus, God, we're so grateful for the fact that you, you don't want to leave us where we are. God, you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And part of that... A big part of that, Lord, is growing to become more like you. Lord, and we know that that comes through the things that we see in scriptures that we have labeled today as spiritual disciplines. God, practices and methods, God, of drawing closer to you, of more fully experiencing your joy, your love, even your plan and your purpose for us, God. We see you most clearly when we are emptied of ourselves Removing all barriers and obstacles and blinders and through fasting is one of the ways that we get the clearest view of who you are. When we deny ourselves in order to see you more clearly, God, you show up. And so we come right now with expectancy that you're going to move through this effort, Lord. God, but we need your help. We do. God, give us clarity on the things that we should be putting before you as we go into this fasting season. Individually, as we work up over the next couple of weeks, God, put some things on our heart that we would desire to see more clearly as we fast one meal, and then two meals, and then three. God, let it not just be a rote kind of go-through-the-motions sort of thing, but let each step, God, be an encouragement and an an opportunity and a moment to, to see your hand move. God, we praise you. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a song.